I think I have really benefited from this level of competitiveness and the ability to be very disciplined and to know what I want and mm. to go for it. But there's a bit of me that also knows that there's downsides yeah. to that. The whole kind of little Miss Perfect where you feel like you have to do everything perfectly. Mm. And well, for many, many reasons, when you're trying to balance things, that's just not possible. But I found the breaking point was, you know, when you've got a job and twins, yeah. things yeah, really, come. really aren't perfect anymore. Yeah, you kind of have to let um, your standards <laughs> go a little bit. And, but it's also just knowing that that's totally fine. So that's been a real, yeah, a bit of a transition for me into real life and mm. just actually taking time to enjoy life and to be with the people that I love and I know this is really obvious stuff but it was something that sort of skipped me by because I was so focused yeah. on getting to the next level and doing the next thing and and a lot of that was driven from a good place so I mean I really wanted to become an ambassador for example when I was in the foreign office and I yeah. wanted to do that because I you know I felt that there should be more female ambassadors and that I felt like I could do it yeah and I thought it was important to do it so it wasn't all just kind of just for the sake of competition but there are definitely times when I look back and I think well how much did I really enjoy every day that I was in those amazing countries and doing that job or how much was I just pushing myself mm. push 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 Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Jules Chapel, OBE, is a communications specialist. After graduating university in 2003, Jules joined the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and was posted to Baghdad as a member of the coalition's governance team after the fall of Saddam Hussein's regime. She was appointed an OBE the following year in recognition of her services. In 2008, Jules became the UK's youngest ambassador to Guatemala and non-resident ambassador to El Salvador and Honduras at the age of 31. During her time in Guatemala, she made issues surrounding domestic violence in the country a key part of her mission. In 2013, Jules won a Woman of the Future Award in the Community Spirits category. She is currently a Managing Director at London and Partners. My dad is a farmer and my mum used to work in all sorts of administrative roles. And I grew up in Dorset, um, nice. very different to London. We didn't actually live on a farm, but um, quite close to you. And I just remember riding a BMX, getting very dirty, climbing trees. My parents were always very sporty. My brother was very sporty. I was very sporty. So a lot of just, I think my lasting memory actually is my mum or my dad actually shouting at us to get us in for whatever meal of the day it was because we were always outside <laughs> throwing balls or leaves or but yeah. I mean the life of a farmer my family have farmed my uncle's a farmer oh, yeah. but that's exhausting as well isn't yeah. it because you're up literally even before the crack of dawn to go I was he tending animals or was he yeah mixture over yeah. the years oh, gosh I remember our teenage <laughs> years you know when you go through the kind of sleepy bit and yeah. my poor dad just he could never understand it really you were sleeping in 
until lunchtime. Oh my God. Do you know what? <laughs> oh my gosh, I do remember being so yeah, sleeping, sleeping in, and he'd already had half his day. Yeah, I've done. I've done all my work. What are you guys? Up yeah, to? literally, yeah. like you know, it's the sort of thing that you look back as a parent and go, oh, that's quite bad. But at the time, <laughs> you just, just make like, the most of it. You don't know any better. Yeah, well, you don't yeah. know any better. Mm. Plus, uh, my coach now is a neuroscientist, an amazing lady called Tara Swart, and she always tells me about the different stages at which your brain is genuinely growing and teenage brains are genuinely growing so really? I'm okay. going to remember so that, that is one. an excuse it is genuinely <laughs> an excuse you should let them grow but I have four year old twins so you can remind me of that in a decade wow. when I'm trying to shout wow. them to get them out of bed <laughs> it's like no <laughs> their brains listening. their brains are growing let them mm. be so did you enjoy school? You quite- I did I love school I was very lucky I went to brilliant schools very competitive which is something in later lacrosse. life. Yeah, yeah, lacrosse was my... It still is my passion. Tell us about that. Um, How did you get involved with lacrosse? Well, so I remember even um, seeing it on the first day that I kind of went to even look at my school and I was like, I don't know what that is, but I want in. Because it's quite awesome. different, <laughs> isn't it? it is. It's not at every school necessarily. No, no, no. It? And it's, it's, um, it's a very fast game. It's quite a physical game. And the apparatus um, is... So it's quite different and yeah. Yeah, so it's a long stick. So people kind of quite often compare it to hockey but in the air. So it's a long stick, it's got a net on the end, you th- you know, you pass and throw and you catch it and you can't hit each other theoretically. <laughs> um, but you can you can hit each other's sticks to get the ball out. Okay. Um, and the goal kind of looks a bit like an ice hockey goal and, okay. and a little bit like ice hockey, you can go behind the goal. Yeah. So it's a very fluid game. You can literally throw the ball from one wing to another. So there aren't many games that are as fast and fluid and can you literally throw it from one end of the pitch right up to the other end I can't or? I can't but some people <laughs> no, I mean, or? not normally so you, okay. but you can throw you know it's normal to throw like a third of the pitch or right. if you get a goalie who's got a really good clear when they save and they can throw it sort of halfway down the pitch because wow. in netball I played netball <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> like, you can't you can't well, that you was know. my other sport and I love yeah. netball but it was always um yeah, I, I'm not very quick in short spaces. I'm, I'm a kind of, I need a bit of space. <laughs> and then once I get motoring, I'm fine. I just, yeah. yeah, so lacrosse is a great sport for me. And I kind of, I look at women's sport and I'm very passionate about it. And I am so pleased that if my girls growing up, they'll mm. also get to play cricket and rugby and yeah. football. But when I was growing up, I didn't have, quite honestly, I didn't really have those options. So for me, you know, it was such a passion and kind of kept me out of trouble until I got to uni and then it didn't, even that couldn't. <laughs> but hey. But you played lacrosse at an incredibly high level as well. Right? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I played um, for England on and off. I never made it to a World Cup because I was a diplomat as well. So yes. I was always doing postings and I remember at one stage I was in the sort of training squad and I was based in Ethiopia. And so I was literally training on my own with, with I had a German shepherd at the time and I would, I would do a ground ball. So you, you throw the ball on the ground and you've got to go pick it up and yeah. I'd, be, I'd be practicing against my, against my <laughs> German shepherd, who to be fair, beat me every time. But, yeah. um, <laughs> good but, but it, it did make me, yeah, when I was actually on pitch against another human being, I was, I was quite good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so that was quite tough. But I, you know, I loved it that much. I tried to balance it and eventually I sort of, you know, just wasn't, yeah. just couldn't quite keep it going. So to reach that level of sportsmanship, you need to have quite a competitive element to your mm. character and obviously being dedicated and disciplined. Do you think that has also shaped your career as well? It definitely has, but this is something I've kind of, you know, when you do have your own children, you start to think about these things a bit mm. more. And I think 
I have really benefited from this level of competitiveness and the ability to be very disciplined and to know what I want and mm. to go for it. But there's a bit of me that also knows that there's downsides yeah. to that. The whole kind of little Miss Perfect where you feel like you have to do everything perfectly. Mm. And, well, for many, many reasons, when you're trying to balance things, that's just not possible. But I found the breaking point was, you know, when you've got a job and twins, <laughs> things yes, really, come. really aren't perfect anymore. Oh, yeah, you kind of have to let um, your standards <laughs> go a little bit. And, but it's also just knowing that that's totally fine. So that's been a real... Yeah, a bit of a transition for me into real life and mm. just actually taking time to enjoy life and to be with the people that I love. And I know this is really obvious stuff, but it was something that sort of skipped me by because I was so focused yeah. on getting to the next level and doing the next thing. And, and a lot of that was driven from a good place. So, I mean, I really wanted to become an ambassador, for example, when I was in the Foreign Office. And I yeah. wanted to do that. Because I, you know, I felt that there should be more female ambassadors and that I felt like I could do it. Yeah. And I thought it was important to do it. So it wasn't all just kind of just for the sake of competition. But there are definitely times when I look back and I think, well, how much did I really enjoy every day that I was in those amazing countries and doing that job? Or how much was I just pushing myself? Mm. Push, 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 push. So I'm trying now to just, yeah... Not slow down in terms of what I achieve, but slow down in the way that I achieve them, I yeah. guess. It's interesting to hear you say it, because obviously you're talking about looking back retrospectively. Yeah. And I know for myself, there was a point in my life when I was like, I don't like this ambitious trait in myself. Almost like I was taking it too far, and I was like, I don't actually like myself very much right now. So I didn't rein it in, but I kind of stopped mm. and assessed what made you stop? What was your kind of I trigger? Think I think just a few things happened. I think, I'm not sure whether it was career-wise or I, I was made redundant a few times and I then literally had time to take stock, yeah. which I, you don't normally get on yeah, your totally. career trajectory. And I just thought, oh God, do I actually like these, you know, these traits that you're supposed to bring to your career that everyone tells you you should have? Yeah. Are you supposed to tailor those? Are you supposed to manage them or should you just be yourself? I mean, how did you find it? Um, for me, my biggest trigger was actually my husband. I'd never had that kind of rock where you get very honest feedback. <laughs> yeah. is, he, is he like that with you? Is he's he amazing in the yeah. sense that he's very blunt, but it, you know it's from a good place. And I just didn't realise that the ambition also had these downsides in terms of being quite selfish. Yeah. And I would have been gutted had I realized but I didn't mm. have that level of sort of self-awareness and I was also very proud of what I was trying to do and that sort of I'm not saying I made excuses for myself because I don't think I even stopped to make excuses mm. but you didn't yeah you don't take stock do you, you don't you, you just, don't take just stock you're just cracking on. through yeah, and, yeah. and as I say you're achieving amazing things and so you hear all the praise but you don't stop to think about what you've left in your wake um, some of which is great some of which is less so and as I say, partly, you know, I was moving from country to country every few years. So the other side effect of that is you tend to be quite in transition. You don't have your best friends with you. No. And I didn't have a, a, you know, family with me. So you don't have that anchor of someone who's just going to be like, sweetie, I love you and you are awesome. Mm, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just have a pause and just think about X. And I yeah, sort of yeah. didn't have the benefit of that, um, which I do now and I'm incredibly grateful for because it, yeah, it does really shape you. And you know people, again, it's, I know it sounds so cheesy, but 
because I lived for a long time in my life without having it. But you know when people sort of talk about a partner in life bringing out the best of them? I feel like I have that now. How long have you been together? Five-year anniversary. Plus one, so six. (laughs) Six years. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. From university, yeah. you joined the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, is yes. that right? Yeah. And then you had a remarkable career, really. Do you want to... I can tell you, but you do probably <laughs> better to just explain how it kind of took off for you, really. Yeah, so my first posting was in Jordan. It was a classic Friday conversation where I was told I was going to Amman. I went and told my parents, and they said, Amman or Oman? And I said, oh God, I don't know. <laughs> wait all weekend (laughs) knowing I was going to learn Arabic but not entirely sure which country I was going to be in but it was Amman it was Jordan which was one of my favorite postings just because of the people I was with uh, some of whom I'm lucky I'm very close with still what capacity were you um well again interestingly I thought I was going to cover Jordan I was actually covering Iraq um because (laughs) again yeah but it was because we didn't have diplomatic relations at the time Mm. and so my job was fascinating because I used to go to Iraq uh, during Saddam's time when the country was under sanctions and I used to spend incredible time with people like Margaret Hassan, who very unfortunately was killed, but she, gosh, she was an amazing woman. And she would take me around hospitals and give me a real insight into life on the ground. Mm. And because there was, and again, it's so strange because it was sort of pre-mobiles in Iraq, but it was the very early days of the internet. So reporting on living and markets and prices and Mm. it wasn't as easy as it is now to sort of know what was going on and so I was able to do a bit of that scouting and giving a bit of a sense of the picture at least from Baghdad not all over the country because we had quite limited access in terms of what we could do but from there I then went into Iraq in 2003 the day that the statue came down that was the day that I arrived wow really yeah I stayed there for a year what Uh, was the mood like was it well it was really it was really weird because for the first a few weeks anyway people were very excited because it was a sense of this is the opportunity but Mm. there were also huge expectations of what could be done so Mm. it was a sense of like the americans are here now we'll have power we'll have water we'll have jobs we'll have wealth it's all going to be great and of course the realities of the infrastructure that had been sort of surviving under sanctions it was all very patched together and so you know again you can look back and things are very very obvious but i was part of a coalition team desperately trying to do our best at the time particularly coming into summer where it was you know got up to sort of 45 50 degrees where you know for most people obviously no ac so it's hot proper hot huge frustrations particularly when you ended up having fuel outages for a country Mm. that's effectively built on oil and you could almost feel in the air the sort of the air of optimism and hope switch to one of anger Um, but also you know I remember speaking to one guy who was like the US are punishing us and I said no no these are practical problems Mm. and there was a lot of a lot of different reasons as to why things weren't happening but the overall rule of thinking was you know the US could do it at the drop of a hat if they wanted to and because they're not they're not giving us X, Mm. Y, Z and power and all the rest of it they must be punishing us yeah so there was a resentment it was a massive resentment massive resentment and then yeah it's I did have a couple of quite close calls where I was in the um, Rashid Hotel when that was hit by 13-odd rockets and then a, a few other kind of quite scary moments. But it's, how, old, how old were you? I, I'm trying to think. I must have been about 23 or something. That's crazy. Early 20s, yeah. Yeah, I have very mixed feelings about it because, as I say, I know that so many people were there trying to do the right thing, but obviously... 
Oh, I mean, one of the most compelling things that anyone ever said to me was, you think you're powerful, but you're just a, a blip in this very long history. And yeah, that's how I felt, a blip, trying to, <laughs> trying to do something. Tangible um, and good and, and, positive, and, good and yeah, to make the best of a situation. Yeah. Um, but then, I, I mean, gosh, I remember, also remember when I got back, I went back to my old school and I kind of did a speech you know, about it. And one of the girls, you know, like, kids will just ask mm. you very direct questions. And one of them sort of said to me, it's absolutely disgraceful. You should, you know, did you consider resigning? And I sort of, you know, took a bit of an intake because I could totally see why other people felt that it was an awful thing to yeah. have done. And But it also, it's probably not something that didn't cross your mind. I'm sure it did. No, it so. did, actually. And I, But that was kind of, that's where you have to explain, and it's, you know, it's got parallels with today in the sense that you have to explain the role of a civil servant. Yes, exactly. Um, or politics. Or, or, po- yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of say, you know, I was a, a neutral civil servant trying to do the best in a in a very very complex and difficult situation and quite a remarkable unusual never to be repeated necessarily situation as well so yeah. to make judgment calls on things that are really quite difficult well and, the, and again the kind of information that people had so it is some things are horribly obvious in hindsight but they just mm. weren't at the time yes um, and you're trying to take decisions and again I come back to my neuroscientist friend but <laughs> you think about the sort of best environment for thinking strategically you don't want to be stressed no you don't want to be under massive amounts of pressure all the things that were happening <laughs> you know basically yeah, yeah, all yeah. the things yeah, and yeah. obviously the best leaders are brilliant because they can still perform in a very strategic way despite all of those pressures mm. but I certainly look back and I just have moments when I think you know we were unbelievably hot <laughs> and stressed yes, exactly. and being you know rocketed every single yeah. sunset and every single dawn and with information that you can now look back and realize there were holes but at the time you were having to take decisions so mm. as I say it's not to sort of say everything was right or wrong but it's just to try and bring some color to what was the situation at the time Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't go very far. No, After no, Iraq was America. Yeah. Blimey. Okay, right. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. You no, can edit that. No, no, that was quite something. You then mm. go on to be the youngest ambassador Great Britain has ever yeah. had. Is that still true? I guess it's still it's true. It's still true, I think. I think, you actually, unless someone... Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, That's not true. I think so. I think so. In Guatemala? Yes. Okay. Yeah, how, so. was, how was that? Was that a unique... Uh, to be an ambassador, are there certain criteria you need to fulfil? Do you need to, I suppose, speak the language, first and foremost? Or yeah, uh, You'd think, but no. no actually, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did learn. I did learn Spanish. Okay. I did. Okay. Um, no, you, you bid for it in the way that you would bid for any other job. Okay. So you do need to be certain grades but it's about being able to show normally with ambassador jobs the beauty of them and the reason I went for the job is Mm. that they are very very varied so Mm. you need to be able to show that you've had commercial experience you've had consular experience you've had political experience that you've had experience with you know that sort of representative Mm. role of managing big relationships and uh, speeches and media and all that kind of stuff so it's more it's very very good for that you know for people already have that experience but also for people who want to develop that experience and that's why I went for it I also covered Honduras and El Salvador as well, although we've since opened an embassy in El Salvador. And it was a fascinating part of the world. I hadn't realised, really, but it is the most... Again, I don't know if this is true now, but at the time, it was the most violent part of the world that wasn't sort of officially at war or in conflict. 
So I, I, yeah, I was hoping to get a little further away from cosmetics for the most. I know. Well, my, my brother always jokes I about this. Your poor parents oh. are like, jeez, what is she doing now? My poor brother is a massive skier, and he's always like, can you just go somewhere <laughs> close, <laughs> quiet? You know, he's got How some good France? skiing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think I was always a little bit of a disappointment in terms of the holiday. But having said yeah. that, Guadalajara is a beautiful place uh, to visit. We've got How volcanoes and all sorts. Uh, three years. Right. But um, I did a lot of work around domestic violence whilst I was there, which... It's been quite harrowing. Yeah, it was. It was. And actually, sorry, God, this is really... I didn't mean to take this into a harrowing road, but I, I have since had a sort of, you know, counselling and be told about PTSD. Oh, yeah, of and, course. Which, which really shocked me, because I, de- I never realised that you could get PTSD from someone else's Because it's, it's, it stays with um, you. And it was almost like I was listening to people who'd had some pretty awful things happen to them, including some of the consular cases that we Mm. dealt with, including staff members. And for every trauma I heard about, I sort of was taking it on as well without even realising that's what I was doing. And so, you know, when I've had someone counsel me, they said, you know, well, hopefully, not obviously always, but Mm. hopefully those who are lucky, if they've been through something traumatic they're being helped to go through that process yes whereas if you don't even realize that you've had that trauma you wouldn't even necessarily think and plus you go through that slightly guilty well it's not me mm. I didn't have that awful thing happen to me so I've almost got no right to feel bad about oh, yeah. it you know yeah. I'm not the soldier or I'm not someone who's had something terrible so but you've been exposed to it but you've been exposed to it and that was quite a big yeah learning for me that it's okay and that it's totally possible to have something mm. like PTSD despite not having actually been through yeah. the trauma yourself. I work at the BBC and some of the, p- the people that I know in Panorama, the footage that they oh. see from some of the content, I, they, they have a similar situation where they have to have counselling available if they need it. But I'm so glad they do because yeah. I work with quite a lot of conflict war journalists and mm. I had just the most utmost respect for them because yeah. quite often as diplomats you would come in and then you would go and mm. we used, I used to really rely on journalists sometimes, particularly those who are really specialist in certain mm. areas because they'd done it for so long and yeah. one of the things I used to think was amazing was just how they did stay so resilient but it's how you combine resilience without losing your human warmth, yeah, your, your humanity. Your humanity. Mm. It's really hard. Mm. And as I say, some people are just incredible. Is there a moment or a person in your career that you would say gave you a break or pointed you in the right direction or inspired you? Yeah, uh, quite a few people, actually. I had one, <laughs> a couple of different things. I had one lady, actually, who was director of HR at the time, and she gave me a break without me even realizing I needed a break, um, which is I took a few months off after Guatemala. I didn't even realize I needed a break, but I was sort of chatting to her and she was like, I think you need a break. So I had a few months unpaid leave that, to your point, we were talking about pauses in life. It gave me a t- chance to sort of collect myself. And actually mm. one of the decisions, ironically, that I took was that I needed some time outside of the foreign office. Yeah. Um, the other person was an amazing guy called John Soares who went on to run MI6 mm. and he was just very inspiring in terms of how you could be a brilliant diplomat. Just very, very influential in terms of just the brain, the ideas that he came up with, the way that he'd bring people together. And it just used to make me think that, um, and actually my time in the US really showed me this, that you can have incredible impact within that world if mm. you can pull together the right coalitions of people 
Um, and I guess actually that's now sort of what I've taken into the world of, that I work with now. It's just that kind of coalition building and inspiring people behind a common idea, which I know is nothing new, but I'd never seen it so brilliantly executed. You think it was his personality? Or yes, entirely yeah, his yeah, personality. Yeah, because yeah. that sounds like it's quite, a, not unique, because hopefully there's more than one person yeah. like that, yeah. but, um, you know, that is something that's actually quite a thing yeah. to harbour and harness and cultivate. You've got to have the idea. And yeah. quite often you'll find people have a brilliant idea but don't have the character to put, you or know, how to you bring express people it, to, or yeah. how you deliver the message. Well, and it's also that, um, that ability to appeal to totally different people and yet get them all to work mm, together, so you're not yeah. just selling it into one group, but you're able to read right across and even get supposed competitors mm. into the same tent and so yeah I, I guess I've seen ideas and I've seen brilliant people but to put the two together it's quite That's special skill, yeah. yeah can you tell me more about what you do now and yeah. how you've come to do what you do so yes I now work for London and Partners which is the Mayor of London's official promotional and economic development agency and I run all the business side of things so helping international companies expand into London and invest into London helping London-based companies to go international and expand overseas. And then something which is slightly newer for me, which I love, is attracting and winning big events into London. Okay. So those could be cultural, um, sporting or, or corporate. You know, We just recently had Cybos, one right. of the world's biggest yeah. financial services, which we bid for and won for London a few years ago, um, and then helped them to make it the best attended Cybos ever, 11,500 people, so very proud of that. And a project that I'm working on at the moment is actually to create a new event for London. And we're working particularly in the world of immersive technologies, so virtual and augmented mm. reality and holographic and projection mapping. And it's all around creating a festival for mass immersive storytelling. And the value of this is not only London as a hub for creativity and technology, but it's also the content that we can put through a platform like that. So I think of London being a such a global community and therefore the issues that we talk about and that we care about are global and so something like virtual reality is when it's done well it's so powerful it can literally stop you in your tracks you can go through a eight nine minute experience where you quite literally see the world from a different point of view or a different culture or a yeah. different mental state or you know whatever it might be or even you know you think you're a tree or an elephant but <laughs> it's so compelling and so the festival is set up in a way that we have experiences felt on mass but then correlated thought leadership so you meet the person who made the experience who was in the experience or who's a thought leader around the issues so hopefully it should be a really exciting new thing. It sounds really exciting. Yeah. We were speaking earlier about how sometimes people are intimidated by that kind of technology, but it's about seeing the harmony, seeing the potential. Well, for me, I, I always um, I was very lucky. I got to meet John Brown, from uh, the former CEO of BP, at the beginning of the year, and he was launching his new book all around innovation. And he is very strong on this message that technology is just a tool, like any other innovation. And it's what we consciously do with it and what we don't let unconsciously be done to us. And so technology can, as I say, consciously or unconsciously, you can be pushed into your echo chambers where you just hear you know, your own thoughts reflected back to you and you become less understanding of other opinions. On the other hand, as I say, you can use technology to understand other viewpoints in a very powerful way. So. It's how are we going to use the technology that's available mm. to keep, us. Yeah, keeping an open mind. Yeah, yeah. 
How did you get involved with the Women of the Future? Program? Oh, I got pinky back in 2012. <laughs> that is my that's my life. Term, right? My lifelong ambition is to get to, to be pinkied into the Oxford <laughs> English Dictionary. If anyone's listening. Um, <laughs> So I, uh, I, I remember actually really, really clearly, it was 2012, and I got a call from a friend in the foreign office who literally picked up the phone and said, Jules, how old are you? And you know when you're like, you're like oh, excuse me? Excuse me. <laughs> um, and she's like, question. are you under 35? And I think I was just. And she put me forward for the Women of the Future Awards back then, which I won the public sector or community spirits, I think it was called. Mm. And... Um, at that stage, as I say, I knew that I wanted to do something different, but I just didn't have the network or the confidence to even know how to go about or it. where to start. I just yeah. didn't know where yeah. to start. Yeah. You know, I knew mm-hmm. Westminster, I knew Whitehall, but I had no idea of the world beyond that. And I remember people would try to help me, and they would sort of say, you know, what sector do you want to go into? And I, I was like, what are the sectors? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, literally throw me a bone here. I was like, <laughs> And Pinky took me around town under her wing and introduced me to a whole load of fascinating people. And I sort of went from there. And what she does and the way that she lives and her mantra of you haven't lived a perfect day until you've helped someone or done a kindness Mm. that someone can never repay you. And, you know, people who do what they say. (laughs) She's one of those. And I always have great joy from sort of trying to tell her stories from where women of the future alumni or connected people or partners mm. and sponsors have helped each other yes. perhaps without her knowing because yeah. I think she doesn't always realize she that. loves that as well yeah but it's important because as I say I, I don't think we always tell her that no I have some quick fire questions okay friends. okay what would you describe as your greatest success <gasps> my twins uh, <laughs> boys, girls. two little girls uh, and they're uh, Kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit like them, Mark. They're going to be yeah. a nightmare. But I love them. <laughs> they're, they're, they will take the world by storm. Your greatest failure? Ooh, oh gosh. I know this. Um, oh gosh. Oh, um, I had this horrible moment, a personnel issue in Guatemala that I handled absolutely horribly. And I still am very, very I sad by how I just, I was trying to follow the rules and just did it really badly. But human stuff you never forget, exactly. right? You know, yeah, and you're just you like, do. that was just really badly done. And I, yeah. Okay, the mantra of the woman of the future is kindness yep. and collaboration, as you know. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? I think it's, for me, I try and focus on it at the difficult times. I hope that most of us are kind and collaborate in the good times. Mm. But I think a true sign of it being something you believe is actually when you're going through really difficult times and actually those are the times when kindness and collaboration reward you more than other times but it's again you know it's when we're stressed and we get tunnel vision and that's what it means for me is being kind and collaborative when things are tough is there anything that scares you oh loads (laughs) loads (laughs) you know the biggest thing that scares me coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning is not slowing down quick enough if that's the thing. <laughs> burning out? No, not even burning out. I'm not even worried about that anymore. No, I worry because this level of competitiveness and desire to achieve and desire to do good things and have positive mm. impact, but not at the cost of my family. And that is the biggest thing for me right now is to get that self-discipline, such that discipline is not just about achieving. Mm. Discipline is also about achieving 
for me personally and that means making space for my gorgeous husband for my kids for me and actually realizing that that in itself will enable me to do so much more how do you um, do it because i have a little girl as well i think other people <laughs> so she's three. Oh gosh there'll be lots of women listening yeah i know there's no like oh just click this button and it's all fine no. but what would you say or so the things that I am trying to do is far more, which I, I, I'm rubbish, so I'm, I'm trying harder, but meditation, just because 10 minutes, 12 minutes, I have, you know, Calm as an app yes, on my exactly. phone. There's one on my apps. homepage. Oh. Uh, it's an important <laughs> one. Um, breathe, I have an Apple Watch and I have Breathe. It's, um, it's good, I used it's to have one. really, yeah. really good. Mm not missing my sport, you know, not missing going for a run. So um, self, self-care? Kind self-care, of take, it's the absolute basics. Because it doesn't take long for me to realise and switch back into that, oh gosh, you've just gone nuts on work mode. Mm. I realise it, I'm far more self-aware than I used to be. Basically, if I'm not trying, then my default creeps in very quickly. And my default is this kind of, you know... All systems go. All systems go, totally focused on work, kind of irrespective of what that means for me personally or for, you know, anyone else. What stops you? Like your husband or your... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Hang on a second, we haven't seen you. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, yes, in all seriousness, mm. yes. But also, I mean, again, this is where trying to work out what works for you. So I used to have counselling at five o'clock every Friday. I can't afford to do it all the time, so I'm doing it in blocks. But I've left in the appointment time, and ah. that is my weekly stop. Yeah. Stop. Just stop. Yeah. Whatever it is you're doing, just stop and have a think. <laughs> and that's, that's a great idea. And so, I don't know. I mean, that sometimes people have other things. Like, so I remember a friend who used to have a colour. So, she, like, you know, it was, it was um, a ring or a bracelet, I can't remember which, but she would look at it and just. As a tr- trigger yeah, to pause. As a trigger. Yeah. Another friend has TikTok tattooed across his fingers. Oh, really? That's probably quite, quite That's extreme. Quite, that is quite extreme. But, but he has it for exactly that. So it's always front of yeah. mind of just be more conscious about what you're doing with your time. I think it's really easy for us all to just whiz through on automatic. What's left on your to-do list? <laughs> <laughs> Have you got long, long enough? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. These are going to be quick fire. No, no, um, no, no, it's good. What's left on my to-do list? So I always thought I would do something meaningful in the sense of, I mean, when I was younger, I wanted to be a kind of special envoy in a conflict zone, somewhere where I could really make a difference to something I care about. I say I care hugely about women in conflict and some of the kind of sexual violence stuff that I've taken a bit of time out from those issues because I needed to. Mm. I imagine one day I will go back to that when I'm sort of strong enough to do that and I, that's something I really want to make a difference to. But in the meantime, keep my family happy, Two little get, girls, the, get the festival yeah. up and running yeah. and brilliant. do more running. <laughs> <laughs> it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks Thank for you. being so honest and open. Lovely to meet you properly. I've heard so much about you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.